Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. So John chapter 8, or 7.53 onwards. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a question, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So really we're just using this passage as like a springboard, I guess, to talk about shame. Because shame could have been a significant... um, driver throughout this passage both for the men um, who were seeking to shame the woman and perhaps for the woman herself and I guess just as an acknowledgement like when we're talking about shame it's uh it is powerful it is personal this story in particular has overtones of sexual shame to it Um, we're not going to really be talking about that tonight but I just want to acknowledge that this is actually quite a tender issue and if at any time you need to get up and move around, move your body, or even leave the room. I just want to give you permission to do that because I don't want um, anything that happens tonight be something that triggers you into a a difficult place. So just feel permission to do whatever you need to do to feel um, okay tonight. Is that all right? Um, Fiona, do you want to come and just share some of your insights with us? This is Fiona, everyone. Woohoo! Thank you. Um, Yeah, this isn't really my insights. I've just ripped it all off Brene Brown. (laughs) No apologies. Um, So is anyone, if you're not familiar, Brene Brown is a shame researcher. And so she's the good place to go. Um, So she has a definition for shame, which is coming. So shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. So one thing that shames one person may not shame another person, it's when we attach the um, belief of unworthiness and, and, um, and not being accepted to that that makes the difference. So when I started, I guess, learning about Brene Brown's work and engaging with shame, I didn't really get it. 
I felt that I was familiar with phrases like you should be ashamed or shame on you, but I didn't really know how to apply it to my life at all. Um, It probably took me a couple of years to really be able to start to identify shame in my own life. I felt really comfortable identifying like guilt or embarrassment or humiliation in my life. But ironically, I felt ashamed about the idea of identifying shame. (laughs) So I thought the best way to start with looking at shame is to look at what it's not. So shame is not guilt or humiliation or embarrassment. It's different. So we'll look at um, four examples and we'll kind of compare them. So shame tells us that we didn't make a mistake, that we are a mistake. It says, I am bad. It focuses on self, not behavior. The result is feeling flawed and unworthy of love, belonging and connection. Shame isn't a driver of positive change. You can't shame yourself um, or others to change. So for example, you're at school, you get a quiz back, you get an F, and your self-talk is, I am stupid. So in comparison, if we look at guilt, guilt tells us I did something bad. It focuses on behavior. Guilt is the discomfort we feel when we evaluate what we've done or failed to do against our values. And it can be a driver towards positive change. So you get the test back and the self-talk is, you know, instead of going to the party last night, it was really a stupid decision as opposed to I am stupid. You're like, there's a separation. Um, Humiliation is when um, we're identified that we've been belittled and put down by someone, which leaves us feeling unworthy of connection and disgusted with ourselves, but we don't believe that we deserved it, which is the difference. With shame, we agree with the shame. With humiliation, we feel that it's unjust. So the example would be that the person sitting next to you says that you're an idiot for not getting you know, the results on the quiz. And although that hurts you, you don't agree with them. So humiliation is a bit more outside of us. And then finally, embarrassment. Um, It's when we did something that made us feel uncomfortable but we know that we're not alone. It's often fleeting and it can be funny. So you're not gonna laugh when you're in shame. You will laugh about something when you're embarrassed, which is a key difference. So it's the classic, you're coming back from the bathroom with toilet paper stuck on your shoe. It's, you just feel like this is what people do, it's funny. Um, When we're in guilt, embarrassment or humiliation, we're experiencing a pain of a moment, but we're able to separate that behavior or experience from our self-worth and our value. But when we're in shame, that is our self-worth and our value. And then shame is the voice that says, you're never good enough, and who do you think you are? It has a big like accusing tone to it in general. Um, shame is highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, 
bullying, suicide, eating disorders. If you put shame in a petri dish, if you did a little science experiment, and you wanted it to exponentially grow or flourish, you would need three ingredients, secrecy, silence, and judgment. Shame loves sitting in the dark with those things. If you want to cut shame off at the knees and quench it, you put the same shame in a petri dish, but you douse it with empathy, because with empathy it can't survive. Two of the most powerful words when we're experiencing shame is me too. Somebody stepping into it with us. Vulnerability, empathy, self-compassion, this is the an antidote to shame. That's it. Thank you, Fiona. <laughs> um, so, um, now, welcome Linda, Michael, Fiona, come grab a seat. I don't know how, well, in no particular order. You don't, we don't have to go in a line. We can pretend we're having a conversation <laughs> rather than an interview. But um, why don't you share with us how... Um, how shame has presented itself in each one of your lives. Um, what maybe what it has felt like. Um, I don't know if you would like to give us an example of a particular area in life where you have felt or experienced shame, and just some, like just flesh it out a little bit for us in ways. Um, I think the reason I think this is really important is because I do think in many ways shame's quite insidious. We can, it can actually be a very strong driver in each one of our lives, but it can actually be hard to recognise, which is what Fiona was sharing when she first started learning about shame, this idea that it was hard to connect with. And I think the more we hear people talk about, oh, this is how it is for me, this is how it is for me, we actually start to connect the dots in our own emotional landscape about how it's expressing itself for us. So share with us, lovely people. Um, I think um, I actually um, had felt shame when I was very young, when I was growing up. Can you, can you all hear that? Is that on? It's not working. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Um, and it was, I didn't recognise it, of course, because I was just a little girl. But um, I recognise later on, and looking back in hindsight, that I actually felt so unloved as a child and so um, alone as a child and that the root of that was shame was a kind of a real feeling of I'm not I, I don't even remember at times feeling like I was present to myself ever when I was a child and um, it wasn't until much later on and even now and I sometimes think of times when I have experience, had experiences when I was a child and I think that was rooted in shame. So, yeah, that's um, from my childhood perspective. Mm. Um, on the way here, I was just, just walking up the laneway thinking it's a bit ironic. Almost anything that I would say here tonight would be something that I'm not ashamed of because if I was ashamed, I wouldn't speak of it. Um, so it's hard, like, how can you share shame? But I thought the good thing about that is that I've been doing a lot of work on this for a few years. 
Um, and at lunch the other day, I thought, yeah, I'm up for this. But then when Caro asked this question, how does it look like in your own life? I went blank. Um, not intentionally, it just, I couldn't, I could think of one thing, like, um, I feel shame about being divorced, about the breakdown of the most, you know, an intimate relationship. And, um, but I was blank. And then as we were talking, <laughs> I wrote out this long, long list of lots and lots of things. Um, and I thought, if I could talk about those things, that almost kills it, which is good. Um, yeah, so it can be subtle. Like I, the shame. I think I relate anger to my dad, but um, shame perhaps more to my mum. She's intensely private, secret, silent, judgment. You wouldn't see a lot of judgment from mum, but. I think it's more silent and secret and she's very private and hidden and I took that on just by habit um, and observation. I'm similar to her in that way and so it thrives in me and I, I'm not quite sure if this is shame but um, I, I learnt the piano as a kid but it was, never a, it was never a family celebration thing. It was more to go to the Estedford and play or to play at church or something. It was... To, to serve rather than to enjoy and in recent years I've been enjoying the piano and um, I realised that there's a really one of my favourite pieces of music that I've spent years trying to learn and I, I love it but I've never played it for mum and dad or not much and I realised I'd played that for friends and so I just said mum, yeah dad, like, yeah, do you want to, I want to just play this for you and at the end of it mum said to me Michael, you really, you really, um, what did you, I've forgotten it now. You're really special, but not that special. And I thought, that stung me. And I thought, I was trying to be vulnerable of something that she's blessed me with, and that I've started to feel free to actually give to others. And I wanted to share that with her. And I think she felt. Either I was showing off and she wanted to keep me in my place or she felt uncomfortable that maybe I could play okay and she felt a bit awkward about that in herself. But I, I can't exactly tell, but there was shame in that. And it, it's, because it's so hidden and confusing, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of my biggest clues that I'm experiencing shame is usually that I'm overreacting to something disproportionately. So I'm having essentially a fight or flight response to something pretty basic. Um, so it might be an invitation to do something or feedback at work or something like that. And I want to lash out, justify, get in there and defend myself. And there's nothing really... I'm picking a fight with something that's not even requiring one and that's usually my first clue that something bigger is going on for me. Um, I, one of the times I remember identifying shame was 
uh, when my husband Dave um, did an online quiz and said to me, I think I have ADHD, my first response was shame because I thought what kind of a person marries someone and doesn't realize that they have ADHD. And yeah, I think uh, probably a few hours later, I get to say to him like, I am feeling shame about this because I don't want anyone to know because <laughs> I feel like it's reflecting on me and the fact that I don't know how to pick a partner. <laughs> yeah, we love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but sometimes it's things like that where you wouldn't think that would shame you, but it did. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's like a subtle one. Yes, I have, um, and I think I've shared this previously as well. But um, for some of you know and some of you don't know that um, I've actually been married three times. And um, for me, that's been a real um, shame thing that I've had to carry in my life at times. Just when people, you know, it comes up in conversation so much now. Are oh, you married? How long have you been married? And all this. And you have to say, oh... I've actually been married three times and I've always been really, really embarrassed about that. And I think it comes... I felt, I felt ashamed, like, what's wrong with me? What is it about me that I haven't been able to be married for... I've always longed to be married for a long time too. And um, I remember Cheryl um, here sent me a um, scripture about Jesus being my husband, God being my husband. And I remember putting that on the fridge and that made a big difference for me. But for many years... I couldn't actually state that I'd been married three times. Once I started doing that, I realised there were plenty of people around that had been married three times. They'd say, oh, I know someone, or I've been married twice, and, you know, here I go again. But it was a, it's, it's been something that I've carried in my adult life for a, for a long time, actually, and I kept it hidden if I, ha if I could. I'd, I'd make a point of not going into conversation about marriage or anything or if the conversation came up I'd leave yeah and yet I know why you know I mean in my head I can if I sat and told you the stories of each one you say oh well that's that's that you know that's pretty reasonable but in in my gut in my gut it was a, a shame thing that I carried with me I must be defected in some way something wrong with me I think that's, you know, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I, I guess I'd be interested to see if any of you could flesh out more, like, yeah, some, what's been some of the self-talk that you've been able to identify shame? Because like you laid out, Fiona, like embarrassment or guilt or humiliation, slightly different, but like I think it's that recognition of that inner self-talk, like I am, those I am statements. Or I wonder if you could even share what it feels like in your body when you um, can feel yourself, like when shame is upon you, like that, like in your body, what does it feel like? Yeah, I liked Fiona was saying there's that fight and flight thing where you just want to get out of there quick and not, and not engage at all and either re regress and become quiet. For me, that's how it is and my heart starts to pound and 
I can get quite physical. There's a lot of physical stuff goes on. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there's different levels for me. So there's things where I'm experiencing shame, but I, um, you know, if it's at work or something, I tend to go into the fight mode. <laughs> I'm a fighter. Um, but when it's deeper shame, I think then I will hide more. Um, it's the stuff that you've got to dig out from childhood that's a lot more difficult. Um, a little bit similar to Mike, I my mum has a lot of shame and that got shared with me growing up and then also her self-talk became my self-talk and I just thought that was normal and healthy. <laughs> um, and so that I think is something I did alone for a long time because... I was too ashamed to talk to anyone about it. But that just felt like I wouldn't take opportunities. I would avoid certain things at all costs. Um, just not wanting to, like, yeah, I guess engage on levels. So just avoidance was probably a big thing for me. I'm not sure about the self-talk. I mean, I'm sure it's just the I am flawed and unlovable, unacceptable, but I, th I feel it more like um, shut down um, and I, so I go to see a psychiatrist most weeks and um, maybe five or ten, ten years ago have, I found it very hard when I realised that there was, I was um, bumbling along with depression that I wouldn't have been able to talk to anyone about that um, because no one did. I'd never heard anyone acknowledge that and then my sister had postnatal depression and she'd talk about it in front of the church and ring me up in tears and, and I thought, it's a bit awkward but then I could see her healing. <laughs> Um, she wasn't ashamed of it, um, she was facing it and I admired that, but what does it feel like? When I'm sitting with my psychiatrist I've had quite a few times where he'll sit there and say how does that feel and invariably for like almost a year it was always tight shoulders um, across the back in um, you know, sort of heavy feeling in my chest and he'd say, oh, so you feel afraid, you feel anxious. And it finally twigged to me a little while ago. Every time he asks me how I'm feeling, I'm always feeling afraid. Why is that? And it's because, I think, when I'm feeling a strong emotion, I don't want that to be seen. I'm ashamed. And so I shut it down. And the instant he asks me, it triggers that. And it happens that quick that all I'm left with is this feeling of anxiety and fear because a strong emotion was seen and called out and invited and I was too afraid to see it. So shame is like that. It's hard to see. <laughs> it's hard to see. That's what shame is. I'm... shut down, I just shut down and hide, I don't want to know it.
Michael, it sounds... Can I just talk? Yeah. Michael, it sounds... It, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what I'm hearing Michael saying is... And just correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but it's like you're, you're, every feeling you've had or you've had, you know, you're ashamed of your actual feelings, which must be so binding up and it just kind of shuts the whole person down, doesn't it, when you're ashamed of your actual feelings that you're experiencing. That must be so debilitating over the years, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear, isn't it, shame attached to, like, who we are, things we do, how we feel about ourselves, what other people think about us. Yeah, it's, it's just multi-layered and can go quite deep and often springs up out of childhood, things and, and stuff that we've had. I want to ask this question. So I, I want to be careful that we don't shame shame because that's not a good way forward to actually just shame the emotion shame. Like I often think if, if these emotions are present in our bodies, um, then I would tend to think that somehow there's gift in them as well as... I th but I think shame is a gift with a very big sting. Um, but I, I wonder what you think um, is the... Like, if we could see shame as a warning light on our dashboard, what's it, what's it alerting you to? What's it, what's it revealing that's um, behind it? Or what is it that you can sense about when you feel shame? What do you feel like is meant to be a, like a... Rather than shaming shame, I feel bad that I'm ashamed, but it reveals something to you. Could, does that make sense? I think for me... It just reveals the part of me that is feeling unloved. That's feeling, I guess, that lack of empathy and embracing. So it's the, usually it's parts of me that are saying, like, I'm feeling flawed and like I don't belong. And it's an invitation to come in and give unconditional love to myself in that area. It doesn't really feel like that in the moment, but I, when I reflect, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a, a part of me that the light isn't touching, and yeah. yeah I've always, um, I, I feel like, you know, um, I spoke about this the other day when we were together, like shame's woven in, in us. It's like it's, it's there, it's a thread. And um, I think at any moment someone can say something or something can happen and it kind of pulls the thread up, you know, when you pull a thread in something and you're suddenly faced with it. And it can be quite strong, the feeling. But for myself, I suppose, over the years, and I'm a bit older, I've learned that when that happens, I can, I've got to... The only thing I can do is remember that God loves me. That... Um, that's, that's, if I don't do that straight away or as soon as possible, I'll get hooked in. It'll get hook me somehow or other. But if I can just go there quickly, then I can... F it's like it pulls it back out again. You know when you've got a piece of material with a thread in it and then you can just pull it straight back out and it goes back flat again. But I think there's always a thread of shame um, uh, in, our, in our lives, sitting there waiting. <laughs> Amazing. 
And yeah, the benefits or use of shame. Um, I guess the the distinction between guilt and shame. I think guilt or conscience can be helpful to think. Hmm, that was stupid or bad or wrong. I'd, I want to change that, but I, I don't think shame is ever helpful like that. Um, and I don't think shame ever comes from God, Holy Spirit, or Jesus. I think shame comes from the accuser to say you are bad inherently and irrevocably and you, should, you can never talk about this. Um, so I guess looking at it that way, if I can recognise shame, and I told you I've got a long list, <laughs> um, I guess the use of that is to say, uh, I see you. I see you and I'm going to look you in the eye, not for too long. <laughs> and then I'm going to look, take, take that to Jesus and I'm going to have a snuggle and... Um, just sit there for a little while. <laughs> um, so I think the, the only use I can see right at the moment of shame is to, oh, okay, I can feel it, I can see it. <laughs> um, um, I'm, I'm going to take you out. <laughs> um, there may be guilt under that, there may be things to deal with, but while it's just shame, that means that I have taken those that self-talk deep, deep, deep right down into my identity. I am, I feel like I can't even think about it, it's just that deep. And if I've done that to something that I don't actually believe is true, it's wrong, um, then that's useful to know. Yeah, so rather than shaming shame and hiding shame, I'm thinking, yep, I feel it. Um, if I don't feel it, then I'm hiding it. Um, so that's the use, and if, if I'm prepared to, to, to see it. Hmm. I, um, yeah, I, I can't say that I think I've done a lot of really intentional um, shame work in my life, but I, I have actually had to really dig, dig deep or allow God to go deep in my life about um, the sense of my own belovedness and worthiness with God, like my own righteousness, my own complete and utter acceptance by the God of love. And I'm by no means like, like amazing at that. But I do remember that's something I actually really have worked on. Um, and I remember like many, many years ago in... In church, we talked a bit about, you know, Henry Nowen's um, I'm not what I have, I'm not what I do, I'm not what other people say about me. I am the beloved of God. And I, I've spent a lot of time with each of those hooks, like thinking that I'm defined by what I do, I'm defined by what I have, I'm defined what other people say about me. And so I, I think I have got to the point where not always and never really in the moment of shame but for me shame has become like a warning light that there's there's still places in me where the, the belovedness needs to work because I think the deeper we have a sense of our worthiness our yeah just the way that God 
completely and utterly accepts us just as we are. And as that, like, is, you know, massaged into every part of our being, shame just loses its grip. And so I've come to see that when I have shame, usually attached to, like, something like I'm not good enough, I'm, then it's just an opportu- another opportunity for me to like allow God to go deeper in my life. I don't always feel very excited about that, to be honest. Like, it's not like I'm like, yay! But it's like, just a, it's like become a warning light, I suppose, as, as opposed to like a, yeah, something too insidious. And I think that, you know, that's an okay thing. The word that you use, the massage, the massaging, because to be massaged, you need to stay still in the spot and not run away. When you're on the massaging table, you know, you've got, and when you say, you know, like allowing God to massage that out of us in that sense of using His word or whatever the love that He's got for us, and what you've got to stay still and be massaged. You can't be running away. And I think when shame hits, our, our tendency is to. Just run, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, how about we, how does, or how has, maybe we should say, how has God, um, your own faith journey, or the church, either helped or hindered um, your journey with shame? Or maybe how has it helped and how has it hindered, both and, your journey with shame? Well... <laughs> You know, being married three times and in a Christian church doesn't go down very well. <laughs> and um, and it didn't, you know, um, it didn't. And um, it didn't for me, anyway. That's, you know, was my, my trip, I suppose. And, um, yeah, um, I can remember my third marriage was a Christian marriage and I was so convinced it would work and that God would work that out and it everything would work out and this would be a fantastic marriage and it wasn't. It was the worst one of the lot. And, um, yeah, um, I've got stuck now in that, <laughs> thinking that. Um, yeah, it, I mean, there were loving people around me who, who held me up through that time, but there was, a sen- there was a real sense of failure and shame for me about that. There was, it was like the... We can't say icing on the cake, the shit on the whatever. <laughs> the, you know, it was like this. Um, there's definitely something wrong with me now. There's definitely I am flawed. I am. There's something really rotten in me that this can't work. Yeah, and and not that. Not that I got that message from everybody. I'm probably just from myself even more than. But because of the Christ, whole Christian message and. Whatever it just somehow sank in through that. Uh, yeah, I think from like growing up in church, um, your self worth is linked to your spiritual performance really early on. Um, and like I was involved in church leadership for a long time and people were basically categorised in, you know, staff or team meetings based on their performance, like how regularly they came to something or something they would get deemed as flaky or dedicated or that sort of thing. And so I, I guess performance 
was really important. Like, you couldn't be real because, um, you know, there's, there was a standard to kind of, I guess, keep up. So I didn't find it to be a super helpful environment. Like, there wasn't really any room to fall apart sort of stuff. And I think as well because... Um, church was so linked that all my family went to church and we all went to the same Christian school and everything. There wasn't really space to identify who I was outside of that as well. But I do find that Jesus has been great for my shame journey, um, but probably not so much the church. Yeah. <laughs> it's a zero star review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd probably agree with that, Fiona. Yeah, I think um, growing up in church, it wasn't taught, but it was felt that um, being seen as right and perfect was the goal um, yeah emotions were not good just probably my mum as much as the church but I, I remember being taught about anger and not to let your emotions control you just forgiveness like forgive as a, forgiveness is a choice um, so any emotions that feel hurt, anger, around forgiveness. Okay, I feel guilty about that, I feel shame about that. You're not allowed um, to feel angry or hurt, so I'll just shove that down and make the choice. Okay, I forgive you and the feelings will follow. I'll feel all happy and lovey-dovey and good, but um, I don't think that actually works. I think God, I look at the Psalms and I think, <laughs> like um, David was, uh, he felt things strongly and freely and he felt shame as well but not nearly as much as I ever have I think and he he moved through things to that intimate secret place with God I was just thinking about then um, you know when I am um I'm so glad. When I grew up, I grew up in Catholic Church and went, used to go to confession when I was a child. I don't know whether that helped me feel any better or worse. I can't remember. But um, I'm so glad I didn't have to go to confession when I was a teenager. <laughs> uh, honestly, it would have been... Talk about shame. You know, um, I think um, you, you said not to talk about sex. But I'm going to... Um, I can talk about sex. Um, I actually, um, you know, when you feel like you're nothing and you're nobody and you need to feel something and like you're alive and you've got something about you, you, when you, you know, it's easy as a teenager to fall into the whole sex thing. And, um, and I know for me personally that was a shame thing that let, I've always felt shame after that. And, um, it was took, you know, that was one of the healing things that I did when I became a Christian and went, and you know, 
not went to confession, but talked to people and got healing around the whole sex thing when I was a, um, a teenager, particularly, that kind of searching for... And it's the worst road to go down because it just leaves you feeling so nothing again. It's like a pile of nothing on nothing on nothing. And, um, yeah, so just thinking about that then. Um, Dan, have you got that slide about... What is it? The Petri dish one, I think. Is that at the end? I'm just thinking, like, just as we wrap up this conversation... Um, I just, yeah, if you put shame in a petri dish, it needs three things to grow. Um, silence, secrecy and judgment. Um, but if you put shame and you douse it with empathy, um, it can't survive. So I'm just wondering if you could share with us what are some of the actual practices or experience you, experiences you've had or things you've done in your own life to actually to move shame from the secrecy, the silence and the judgment space and into a place of healing? Like, what have you actually done? What's, give us some hope <laughs> or give us some practices or give us some direction for those of us who are, you know, like the, the lights are going on um, about shame or we recognise that there's stuff that we might have. Like, what are some pathways, pathways forward? Um, my biggest one was self-talk. Um, I used to have really brutal self-talk, really dark, really mean. Um, and yeah, I read the, a Brene quote where she says, talk to yourself like you would to someone you love. And that was probably a big starting point for me to stop myself from bullying myself. So when something happened... Um, then I would, my self-talk would be, you know, I'm so stupid, I'm so this, I'm so that. I would, like, interrupt myself and be like, no, you, I'm not going to talk to myself like that. And that was probably a really big um, turning point for me when things would happen, like, that I could have gone into a shame spiral over. I was kind of interjecting and bringing in empathy for myself just through something like, you know, you're not the only person that's made this mistake. You're not the only one who's, you know, done this. And so that was a really big way to give myself self-compassion. Um, so I'd say that made a massive impact. And then the other thing is, like, you need to be selective about who you do talk to. Um, like when it says you, you want need to start talking about shame and, you know getting it into the, the light, you don't just want to roll up to anybody and <laughs> just talk because you need someone who's not going to douse you with judgment or, or like, you know, just unhelpful comments. So, yeah, I've got, um, like, my psychologist or, like, close friends or people that I really trusted um, and start to share things with them. Um, I often remind myself that what's feeling like a massive story for you, they'll probably forget about within an hour. Like it's <laughs> like you're sharing this thing that's like, you know, 
this is breaking news. It's the biggest headline of my life. And it's not going to feel like that for them to hear that. Like, like when I say, oh, I felt ashamed when Dave said he had ADHD, everyone's probably like, oh, what's the big deal? Like, it doesn't mean anything to anyone else because it's my story. But that helped me to start sharing because I'm like, you know, I think I'm showing them the most shocking thing of their lives, but I'm not really. It just feels like that because it's overloaded for me. Um, so that could be helpful. But for the really big stuff, I would recommend either a therapist or someone who is training, who's going to handle that with care. You don't want to roll up to, you know, your neighbour and be like, oh, when I was seven, this really traumatic thing happened to me. Like, they're not going to be equipped to guide you through that. So surrounding yourself with people that can walk you through it, I'd say is really important um but yeah I always just think self-talk is the place to start and you start to watch yourself like when you make a mistake if your first thing in your head is I'm so something then um you're bullying yourself and it's yeah it's not loving yourself I am um, <laughs> feeling a bit weird I can't believe what I've shared, but um, <laughs> but I think the funny thing about it is I'm okay with that, <laughs> and um, I think like Fiona said, that's helpful for me. Like I'm incredibly internal. I internalise things. I stuff things down. I bottle them up, and it's not all about me. And that's free. Yeah. Um, when I'm shamed, I want to hide everything, manage things on the surface, um, and bury and hide and be silent. Um, and when I face it and can speak about it, it's feels maybe pretty hard and overwhelming but it's more free um, and so I've, I've got a practice that I've been surprised with over the past year or so or a few months where um, I think of um, Psalm 91 where God describes himself or, or David describes God like a mother hen where he can hide under the wings hide under the, the extremities of the feathers and um, go to that secret place. Um, I don't know, you might want to close your eyes. I might just go there. But, um, where I, I just picture myself like a little chick or a little duckling and I can see this... <laughs> um, or a mother duck or something. <laughs> you know how a duck or chicken will sort of lift up their wings a little bit and um, the chicks or the ducks can just scurry underneath and then tuck under. And I just imagine myself running under there. And it feels safe and warm. I'm loved, um, 
I've been got. And um, I, it feels like I'm a little kid just scurrying down to the... All my, my, my sisters and I are piled into mum and dad's bed and I sort of bury down under the covers and go down to mum and dad's feet and just sort of scurrying around and getting yelled at when I tread in the wrong places. <laughs> and um, But I, I've had a sense from God um, a few times recently where I can feel the feathers on my face and the soft duck down and I'm just sort of having a bit of fun just looking for my friends or my brothers or sisters, little ducklings and we feel safe and it just vaporises the fear, the shame. It feels a bit like Lucy or Edmund in Narnia where they go through that wardrobe and you can feel the fur coats and you're sort of feeling your way through and it becomes fur trees and it's weird but um, you can just feel it on my face and my body and it just sort of seems to melt away. I love that. myself as I've just always had this sense of I can't even put it into words like a brayer like I've always needed other people to work through stuff like community of some kind and I know years ago when I first started I think back to when I first started to delve into some of this stuff and change and it was through training actually for can to do be a counsellor to do the lifeline course to do that and you actually start to dig it all up and loosen it and you have people around you that actually um, help you to work through stuff and for me that's been the biggest help for me and um, I just think how important it is if you feel like you know you've got stuff inside you it's about being brave and actually stepping out and and saying I'm going to work on this and going and finding some place to do it like um, um, Fiona's saying counselling and good therapist or even just going and doing a, a counselling course of some kind starts to stir stuff up in you and for me that was the, ca the, the catalyst I think for working on stuff and of course most of the people there wanted to do that kind of work too and so you get this kind of lovely group thing that happens and you're all there for each other and supporting each other and then you have your your church community too and God there as well. So that's that's what I can say is how it's happened for me. Um, well, thank you, Linda, Fiona and Michael for sharing with us. I feel like, you know, you can never exhaust a, com a topic like this. But um, I really want to honour your bravery and your vulnerability here tonight and just bringing a little piece of yourself to, to share with us. And so thank you. I, um, yeah, I just want to encourage you people to um, just be aware that this is a very vulnerable thing and maybe, um, yeah, where appropriate, feel free to encourage them if something they said um, helped you because I think that's part of the gift of opening your life up to people is when you realise that some of the things you've been you've been through 
and process through have actually become life for someone else. And so thank you because I think it's helped us. Um, yeah, and just uh, before we finish up, I know we're, we're getting close to time, I really want to make sure we check in with one another before we leave because this is sort of a deeper conversation. So we're going to do that in a minute. But I do want to actually just, just acknowledge that from this passage in John chapter 8 and experience shared tonight and also experiences that we've all had at different times that church is often a source of shame and historically has been places where uh, the community culture has actually valued and lived out um, secrecy, silence and judgment (laughs) as opposed to empathy, vulnerability, transparency and grace. So I want to acknowledge that because... Um, church can be both a traumatising and a healing space and our desire here is to be a place where empathy and love and mercy uh, flows but we are not perfect either and um, and I want to acknowledge that maybe there are people here who have experienced shame and it's been attached to church and I just want to commend you to God if that's part of your story and trust that the journey through shame and the journey to healing and the journey to increase mercy that he would be the guide of that for you and um, I know Brene Brown says that you know shame is a communal emotion actually it usually happens in the presence of others it's usually sparked by interactions with other people and shame is also healed in community So it's often sparked in community, but it's healed in community too. And I hope that we continue to grow and become a community of healing. Um, But but church isn't always safe and we do need psychologists, good friends, psychiatrists, safe places in order to process some of this stuff. So thank you. Um, So this is what I want us to do. I know it's, it's gotten a bit late. Youth up the back, you're all been listening to a very deep conversation and maybe just... That's fine. But what I'd like you to do is just check in with the person next to you or the people around you. I just want you to ask them how you're going, how are you feeling. Um, ask them if there's anything that they want to share that might have been sparked up from the conversation. If everyone's feeling like, oh, I feel okay, then maybe it'd be a good opportunity to just share one thing that you felt like was helpful to hear tonight. And of course, if anyone in your little couple or group would like prayer, maybe just take a moment to just pray gently for one another in a spirit of mercy. And of course, I'm here if anyone would like prayer um, and would like to share a bit longer with someone, I'm really happy for you to come and see me and, um, and I'm very happy to pray for you. But we might just finish up our gathering tonight, but I would like us to just check in with one another and you know, it's kind of like that thing of like we've been swimming in the deep and you don't want to come up too quickly or you'll get the bends um, or whatever it's called. So let's just like just have a general conversation with the people around us just as a way of coming back up to the present and checking in, making sure we're doing okay. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.